Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. I am a fan of magicians who can do card tricks. I am easily impressed with card tricks. The reason being is I spent, there was a summer that I spent a few years ago trying desperately to become good at card tricks, and those tricks will never see the light of day. So when I see someone who can do amazing card tricks, on, it's like on the one hand, I'm like, I love you. On the other hand, it's like, I dislike you because I get jealous. I want to be able to impress people with my card tricks, and I can't. But they can. Have you ever had one of those moments where someone impresses you? You are astonished at what someone does, and you're like, I want to be able to do that. How did you do that? I want to be able to impress people the way you did. And so what happened to me a couple years ago, I was with some friends. Um, we, we were eating at uh, the Green in Dayton, Ohio. When we finished eating, we came out onto the sidewalks. There was a street magician who was doing car tricks on the sidewalk. So we watched for a moment, and he said, I need a volunteer. Know what you're all thinking, right? I didn't volunteer. No, this lady said, I will. So she goes up there. He says, here's what I want you to do. He goes, I want you to stare into this card deck, and I am going to flip this card deck in front of you just like that, exposing all the cards. I'm going to keep doing this, and I want you to concentrate on this deck And I want you, when you see the card you want, any card, say, I got it. Pick that card and let me know when you have it. So she said, okay. So he stands there for a few moments, just flipping the deck, just like that. She's watching intently. And then eventually she said, I got it. He goes, great. Don't tell me the card. But what I want you to do is memorize that card. And I want you to go to your friend right there and whisper in her ear what that card is so we have a witness. She said, okay. And then he does this thing, you know, where, you know, you shuffle the deck and pretend like he's cool. And he did this thing where he opened up the card deck, laid it down on the table in front of him and spread it out the cards. And he said, do you see your card in this deck? She started shuffling through and she goes, No. He goes, but you've seen it in there when you chose it, right? She goes, yeah. He goes, well, you're correct. Your card's not in the deck. It's actually in the coat pocket of your friend you told it to. So her friend pulls out the nine of spades. She said, that's it. Then everyone started applauding. I applauded because I pretended like he was, you know, good. I was really jealous. And then I was wanting to ask this question, but someone beat me to it. Someone asked him, okay, how did you do that? I I know it's not magic. It's some just trick. It's somehow lined up perfectly. But they said, how did you do that? Then he said the words that we didn't want to hear, but every magician says, and you probably know it, a great magician will never reveal their secrets. I don't like you. That wasn't the question. (laughs) How did you do that? Have you ever been so impressed by someone like that? You're like, okay, how did you pull that off? 
How did you do that? Today we're going to look in Scripture at one of the many times Jesus is with his disciples, and Jesus does something that impresses the disciples. It astonishes them. And they say, how did you do that? But unlike some street magician who will just flip through cards and say, a great magician will never reveal his secrets, Jesus actually tells them, here is how you can operate in this way. Today we're going to talk about how mountain-moving faith operates in the life of a follower of Jesus. And I, as, as I was preparing this message a few weeks ago, I'm like, what a great way to start off 2023. Last week, we talked about prayer and how to pray with Jesus, not just to Jesus, but with Jesus. This week, we're going to be talking about how faith operates in the life of a follower of Christ. And to do this, we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. You can turn there in your Bibles, or the Scripture will be on screen, or you can turn to it on your phone, or whatever other sorcery they come up with these days to put the Bible on. But you can meet me there. And before we get to this Gospel, um, before, before we read this text in Mark, I want to address something, because it's very cool how we get, it's interesting how we get to this topic in this passage. But before we actually read it, I want to set up a little context of what's going on here during this time. Because during this time in Mark chapter 11, Jesus and his disciples, they're staying with some friends in Bethany, which that's just a little outside of Jerusalem. And it says in the morning, they begin to make their way into the city. Now, this is actually the week that Jesus will be arrested and crucified. And so it said on Tuesday morning, they were making their way into the city. And our text tells us that Jesus is hungry. And so he looks up ahead, and in the distance, he sees a fig tree, which is leafed out, meaning it has some fruit on it, but not the full harvest. So when they get to the fig tree, Jesus discovers that the fig tree, which is leafed out, the leafed out portions, is fruitless. The tree had foliage, but no fruit on it. So the disciples, they then see Jesus, they witness him, curse the fig tree, and say, may you never bear fruit again. He essentially kills the fig tree and they leave. Now, little did the disciples perhaps realize at the time what they had witnessed Jesus do is actually a living parable about the coming destruction of the temple and all the temple currently stands for. The, the structure, the temple system, the, the corrupt leadership that existed within the Judaism of Jesus' time. And so our text tells us that they curse, he curses the fig tree. They go on their way. They make their way into Jerusalem. When they get to the temple, Jesus begins to flip over the tables of those who are exchanging money, those who are selling livestock, really a system that was built upon the extortion of the Jewish people coming there to worship. So the temple has been turned into this extortion circus, and Jesus prophetically pronounces judgment on the temple by cleansing it. Now, our text tells us that evening came, they returned back to where they were staying in Bethany. The next morning, they wake up, and they begin to make their way into the city again, and they come upon the fig tree. This is where our text is going to pick up in Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 20. It says, in the morning, this is now Wednesday morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi. Look, the fig tree you have cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, 
Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So they come up on this fig tree, and now Jesus launches into this teaching about mountain-moving faith. And I have to say, church, when I was, began studying this a few weeks ago, there was a moment I had to step back and say, I don't get it. It wasn't quite clear to me how we go from talking about this fig tree and the parable of the coming uh, destruction of the temple and and the the corruption that existed in that time. It wasn't clear how that now connected to Jesus teaching about mountain-moving faith. How do we go from this to now Jesus teaching the disciples about mountain-moving faith? Well, it helps to get some perspective. So if we go to the Gospel of Matthew, we read Matthew's account, his perspective of what happened that day. And when we read Matthew chapter 21, we can actually see a different perspective, a little clear image of how the disciples reacted. In Matthew 21 verse 20, after they seen the fig tree, it says, when they saw this, they were amazed. Other verses uh, use the word astonished. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? How did it wither so quickly? The question the disciples are asking is how? How did this happen? What they are not saying is, we, know, we don't have a clue how this happened. They know what happened. They saw Jesus curse the fig tree. What they are saying here is, how, what kind of operation, what kind of power is an operation for this to now become this? For a leaf-out fig tree 24 hours later to be withered at the roots. How does that kind of power operate? How do you call down from heaven that kind of power? How does mountain-moving miracles work? So today we're going to see how Jesus teaches us his response to them because Jesus is not like the magician who stands there flipping the cards and say, ah, I'll never reveal the secrets. Aren't you thankful that we have a God who says, just leave all the secrets up to me? No, we serve a God who says, let me teach you. Jesus is not just teaching the disciples here. Jesus is fundamentally teaching all of us how mountain-moving faith is to operate in the life of one of his followers. And we read in this text three things. Jesus gives us three essentials to mountain-moving faith. And the first one is this. A faith that can move mountains will speak. A faith that can move mountains will speak. Verses 22 and 23 of our text says, Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Now, I think this is interesting here. I think it's interesting that when Jesus talks about what is essential to mountain-moving faith, He doesn't start with prayer. He starts with a faith-filled declaration. He starts with our words. This is the progression of the passage. This is how he is teaching this. He's going to get to prayer here in just a moment. 
But for now, he starts with saying, truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, if anyone speaks to this mountain, because as a follower of Christ, when you speak, there is power there. As a follower of Christ, when we speak, there is a spiritual weight and authority behind our words. Now, I do want to pause here for just a moment and address something. Because there might be someone, and it might be you, it might not. There might be someone here who says, okay, Jacob, this makes me a little bit nervous. This makes me a little nervous when we talk about stuff like this. You know, when we talk about having this authority to speak. It, it bothers me a little bit. Okay, well, can I tell you that when the scripture bothers you, that's the best kind of being bothered. When Jesus bothers you, that's the best type of being bothered. It's not Jacob. This is the words of Jesus saying this. And for some of you, you might be worried about people drifting off into a theological extreme or in a religious extreme, or you might have heard certain words, certain teaching about certain words that are said over people and how these words can be taken out of context. And yes, of course, it's good to know what is theologically correct, of course. But sometimes we need to be careful to not be so distracted by certain words that could be said that we miss the words Jesus actually says. We've got to be careful not to be distracted by what people take out of context. We need to remember to go back and see the weight at the core of what Jesus is really saying. Because here's the truth. We serve a supernatural God who calls his followers to work supernaturally through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And for some, that can make some uncomfortable. Because what can happen sometimes when we talk about working in the realm of the Holy Spirit, when we talk about working through the Holy Spirit, for some, they can be either too afraid of it or they can try to abuse it. And when that happens, that can cause many to be skeptical of it. So this is why it is so important for us to say right here, right now, that I am not going to let the words that Jesus has said be colored by what other people have said. Instead, we are going to take what Jesus has said at face value. That's where we start from, taking the words of Jesus at face value. Yes, people take scripture out of context all the time, but we cannot let that distract us from going back and taking what Jesus has said at face value. So when we read the scripture, what Jesus is saying is to make a faith-filled declaration to the mountain. Now here's where the confidence comes from. It's not about having faith in yourself. It's not about having faith in your words. It's not about having faith in your faith. Where does this bedrock foundation for this faith that Jesus is talking about, where does that come from? It comes from God. Because the disciples ask, how does this operate? The first thing Jesus says, step one, have faith in God. Have faith. This is step one. Get this right before any of the, anything else here applies. Step one, have faith in God. That, that's where the confidence comes from. It comes from God. Listen, I don't speak because I think that speaking is powerful. I speak because I believe that God is powerful. And so therefore, the words that God infuses with his power are powerful. That's where the authority is. It comes from God. Listen, when you, when you have faith in God, that will begin to settle within your life 
So that when you speak, you will recognize that you are not doing it on your own authority, but you are doing it under the authority and by the authority of the most sovereign of all creation. That's where Jesus says mountain-moving faith comes from. That's how it operates. But so many times, we can begin to undermine the mountain-moving faith we desire to possess, and we can begin to undermine words of faith with the other words that we speak. Jesus says, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. So many times we can speak words of doubt. And as consequence, we feel that our faith is not strong and we wonder why. This is because our declaration of faith is not matching the output of our lips. We come to church on a Sunday morning We sing songs of praise, we pray with each other, we read words of scripture, and we're like, yes, I have faith in God, and yes, everything is going to be great, I'm trusting God and all this, but then when we get around our family and friends after church, all we can talk about is how big the mountain is. All we can talk about is the scale of the mountain, the overwhelming nature of the mountain, the fear of the mountain. We say things like, The mountain is so big, it feels like I can't see anything else. Well, the reason you can't see anything else is because you can't talk about anything else. Or this. We make plans to go live by the mountain. We make plans to settle at the mountain. I might as well build a condo on it because it's not going anywhere. Instead of trusting for the mountain to be moved... You move to the mountain. You make peace with the mountain. And what begins to happen is we begin to devolve from thinking through a lens of faith and we begin to process through the lens of luck. I was just dealt a bad hand. This is how the chips fell for me. Life dealt me a bad hand. Listen, church. Life does not deal you anything. You live under the reign and under the control of Almighty God. And Jesus said it's through his power, through his authority, that you don't move to the mountain. Instead, you can say mountain be moved in Jesus' name. It starts with a faith-filled declaration. Number two, a faith that can move mountains will pray. It will pray. Where does the fuel for mountain-moving faith come from? Where does the fuel for faith-filled declarations that can cause others to look at you like you're being foolish, but you choose to stand boldly in front of the the mountain, where does that fuel come from? Verse 24 of our text. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, Key word on ask. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Where does the mountain moving fuel for our declaration come from? It comes from prayer. 
This is why we read all throughout the gospel. Jesus wakes up early to go be alone with God in prayer, or he breaks off from the group of them to go off and be alone with his father in prayer. The fuel for Jesus standing in front of the fig tree making this declaration, the fuel comes from Jesus being alone with his father and communicating with him. It comes from him seeking God's will and power to work through his life. It comes from him asking his father to provide for his needs. Because Jesus gave up the prerogatives of deity, so he is dependent upon the power of God and the Holy Spirit to provide for his needs. And Jesus does this because he recognizes that prayer fuels words of faith. Did you catch that? Prayer fuels words of faith. So if you recognize in your life that your words are not faith-filled, then maybe it's time to back it up a moment and ask yourself the question, how much time am I really spending with God? How much time am I really spending with him? Because the more time you spend with God, the more faith-filled your words become. Much with God, much he is with you. This is why through the Gospels, time after time, again and again and again and again, Jesus talks about the importance of asking God in prayer. Jesus wants the children of God to come to him in prayer and ask him to provide God gets glory through his children asking him. Let's take a look at some scripture. Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, excuse me, in verse 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? John chapter 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Listen, this is so important, and we need to remember this. When you don't ask God, it diminishes the glory God gets through your life. We don't like to bother people, do we? If we're struggling, if there's a sickness there, we don't like to bother people. We don't want to inconvenience people. We can do this sometimes with God as well. We don't want to bother him. And it's a good heart to have when you want to pray for others, but God says you can pray for yourself as well. You can ask me. And we think that we're not bothering God, but the truth be told is God gets glory through his children asking him, and when you don't ask him, it diminishes the glory he gets through your life. God gets glory through the good times and when you ask. Yes, we can stand up here on the stage, raise hands, singing, our God is a mighty warrior. In victory you reign, we triumph in your name. Of course he gets glory through that. He also gets glory through the humble child coming to him and saying, God, I need you to provide. 
God, I need you now in this moment. The words to that song we just sang ring so true to this. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the oceans. I need you now to do the same thing for me. When you ask God, it makes him feel mighty, not because he needs your, your, your confirmation to make him feel mighty. No. When you ask God, it puts him on the display of your life so others can see that he provides for you. He gets glory when you ask him. But when you don't ask God, it diminishes the glory he gets through your life. Look at a few more passages here. John chapter 15 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John chapter 16, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Two results of asking. Number one, God gets glory. Number two, you get joy. When you ask the Father, he gets the glory, you get joy. That this is so precious when we can ask God, it reminds us of how good our Father is. That our Father will pull together the resources of heaven to provide for his children. This is how Jesus says mountain-moving faith operates in the life of his followers. Prayer is a big part of that because public power will always follow private prayer. Public power follows private prayer. We read the scriptures. This is true in the life of Jesus. It's true in the life of the apostles, and it's true in our life as well. Public power will always follow private prayer. So number one, a faith that can move mountains will speak. Number two, it will pray. Number three, it will forgive. A faith that can move mountains will forgive. Let's look at verse 24. I'm sorry, 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, it might sound a little different than when Jesus talks about what is essential to mountain-moving faith. He talks about forgiveness. I mean, a faithful declaration. Yes, I get that. Feeling your words of faith, seeking God, communicating with him in prayer. I get that. But forgiveness? When you read scripture, it will become clearer and clearer to you that the God of the impossible wants to work in your life and through your life. And the more you read scripture, the more you will discover is that God working through your life is never disconnected to the relationships you have. God wants to work through relationships. And listen, bitterness can block God working. He says bitterness, unforgiveness, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them because God wants to work through you. He wants us to function as a body. I mean, this is why he created the church, to function as it does, as a body. He wants us, he puts an importance on relationships. He wants the church to function as his body 
doing mountain-moving things. He wants to work through us individually and corporately. God wants the Wilmington Church of Christ to do mountain-moving things in our community and beyond. And he says what can block, what can block that is bitterness, is hurt, is unforgiveness. So many times we stand in front of a mountain caused by hurt, and we feel that in order for the mountain to move, someone else needs to say something, but really the reason it might not move is because of something you need to say to someone else. He says this is something you can fix. Because Jesus wants us to possess a faith that can move mountains. But he knows the importance of relationships and God working through our lives, and so he wants us to forgive. God wants to remove the mountain of hurt in your life. And he wants to establish freedom. Because he knows freedom will always follow forgiveness. Freedom always, always follows forgiveness. Let's look at the ultimate example. When God set you free from your sin and shame, what had to happen first? He had to forgive you. In order for you to set free, forgiveness had to come from God. And God wants you to help set yourself and others free through forgiveness. I don't know the hurt in your life. I don't know the bitterness there, maybe between you and someone else, maybe between two people in this room. But when one person feels hurt in the body of Christ, we all hurt. When one will forgive, it can affect the entire body. Jesus says he wants us to be free from that. He wants us to do mountain-moving things. He said, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. Listen, Jesus says, a faith that can move mountains will speak, it will pray, and it will forgive. Listen, Jesus desires, God desires for every one of his followers to have a faith that can move mountains. But here's where we can confuse this sometimes. He wants us to have a faith that can move mountains. But the mountain-moving miracle will only happen on his time, not ours. Mountain-moving miracles cannot happen outside of the will and the power of God. He says, apart from me, you can't do anything. We are connected to God. That's where the authority in him comes from. That's where power comes from. And if it's not of him, mountain movie miracles cannot happen. He says, apart from me, you can't do anything. I want to read a passage here. This won't be on the screen. From John chapter 15. This is Jesus speaking. In verse 4, he says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can't do anything. That's hard. That's hard for us as humans. 
If God tells us to have faith to move mountains, we're like, yes, I want to move this, I want to move that, I want to do this and that. Proverbs chapter 19 says, for many are the plans and the hearts of men, but the will of the Lord will always prevail. Listen, have we, have, we, have we thought about it like this? We pray for mountains to move. Have we ever stopped to ask, what if it's God's will for the mountain to be there? What if it's God's will for that mountain and him to help use that mountain to help you develop a mountain-moving faith? If mountains moved at our own timing, at our own preference, whenever we wanted them to, would we really be better off? Would we really develop a faith in God like he desires us to? If mountains moved at our preference. He wants us to develop a faith, but the miracle happens on his timing. Several years ago, um, I was in front of my own mountain, as many of us are. And of course, it's not this tangible thing I was dealing with. It, it's an internal mountain. It's a spiritual battle. And I was in front of the mountain, and I was getting so frustrated with God because I know that he led me down a path that took me to this mountain. I was so frustrated. I got so frustrated that I began to remind God of what he said, like he doesn't know. I begin to say, God, you said, you said, ask, and I will receive. You, you said to ask, and it will be done. This is me asking. I need you now to do the same thing for me, like you did for Moses, like you did for the children of Israel, like you did throughout Scripture I see the mountain moving miracles. I need you now to do the same thing for me, God. This is me asking. But then when I got quiet enough to actually listen to God, I could hear him say, Jacob, are you asking according to my will or yours? I was asking the wrong question. I was asking God to solve the issue of the mountain in front of me instead of asking him what his will was for me at the foot of the mountain. And then the more and more I began to seek God, seek his will for my life, study scriptures, go to him in prayer, the more and more I began to seek God, the more and more he began to reveal that the mountain was there to teach me how to trust him because I had spent far too much of my Christian life not doing that. Then the more and more I begin to speak with God, listen to him, be with him, the more and more familiar the father's voice started to become. He says, my sheep will hear my voice. They will know the shepherd's voice. They will know it's him. The more and more I spent with him, the more and more familiar his voice become. And then it came to the point one day when I heard the father's voice say, okay, Jacob, now it's time for the mountain to move. You have started to develop a mountain-moving faith through this process. 
Now I'm revealing it's time for the mountain to move. And when the mountain moved, it felt like this weight lifted off my shoulder. But guess what? The mountain moved only for me to discover that life is full of mountains. But he used that mountain to remind me that I need him for every mountain. Life is a journey full of mountains, and we want God to solve them right now. And I get it, it's hard. It's hard because we're in the here and now, but God, he has the future. I, I, I always say, God is like an artist, and we're staring at him, and he's painting on this canvas, and we, we don't know what he's painting, but we trust that in the end, when it's revealed in heaven, it's going to be beautiful. And in that painting, there are mountains. But we're looking at the here and now, at the mountain we face. God looks at the timeline of eternity where there is no time. God looks at the big picture. And it's hard when we want him to solve the here and now. When we say, I need you to do now the same thing for me. Because like we're saying, we're calling on the God of Moses the one who opened up the oceans, yes, I need you now to do the same thing. But guess what? How long did it take for the Israelites in captivity to get to the ocean, to get to the sea for God to part? They were in captivity for years. There's a mountain. They were in slavery. Moses spent decades in the wilderness as a shepherd on the run before God told him to go and set his people free. Guess what? Yes, he parted the sea. Mountain. Moved. Woohoo. Getting on the other side. Guess what? More mountains. Starvation. They're lost. Serpents are sent. <laughs> mountain after mountain. You see it throughout Scripture. And listen, may, may, maybe you're facing a mountain today. And you say, Jacob, there's a mountain in front of me. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I need to. Declare in Jesus' name a faithful proclamation. I don't know if I need to wait. What do I need to do? Step one, have faith in God. Jesus says, when they said, how do you have a faith like this? Jesus says, step one, have faith in God. And second, don't move to the mountain. Don't settle at the mountain. Whether you are there for a day, weeks, years, Jesus wants you to have a faith that says, I'm not going to move to the mountain, but if it's God's will and his timing, I will proclaim mountain be moved. And while you're standing there at the foot of the mountain, begin to seek his will for your life. Begin to seek his will while you are at the mountain. Begin fueling your words of faith. The more time you spend with God, the more faith-filled your words will become. And I know it's hard when you're at the foot of the mountain. But maybe today, maybe God's calling for your faith-filled declaration to be mountain being moved. Or maybe your faithful declaration needs to be, I'm not willing to move to the mountain, but I am willing to ask for God's will for my life while I'm here at the foot of the mountain. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, 
be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining and we will see you back here next time.